0: What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Jason Demors. Jason is the founder and CEO of Email Analytics, a sales productivity tool that visualizes your team's email activity, boosting email response time by 42.5% and sales by 16%. Jason brings his business and marketing prowess to the firm and teamed up with Scott Hankinson, a longtime CTO and data visualization veteran, to build out the technology piece of Email Analytics. He has now worked with thousands of clients, successfully improving their business's email response time. Previously, he ran a marketing agency that he founded in 2010 and sold in 2019. Jason currently lives in Seattle with his family, and I think you have a dog too, right?
1: I sure do, yes.
0: So welcome. So good to see you. Thank you for being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. I'm excited. I'm excited to catch up with you. But first, we're going to start with some rapid fire questions. Are you beach or mountains?
1: Uh, beach. What's but the- both. <laughs> <Of> both, <laughs> but beach, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> At, end of the day, net, net, beach. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, first thing that you do when
1: you wake up? Um, take care of my newborn kid. I got a four month old, so I got to oh. take care of him because he's usually, you know, crying so that, so that to get me out of bed. <laughs> oh. So that's a new thing. I forgot that he's like for some, it's Jace, right? That's right. That's his yeah. name, Jace. Oh, I love yep. it's spelled that spelled with a Y, just like my name J A Y C E, and I'm Jason J A Y S O N. So yeah. that's that's our clever little thing. Oh, that's
0: so <laughs> cute! What's uh, what's the best concert that you've ever been to?
1: Um, it would be I've got like three. I, I love concerts. So does my wife. We have been to like four Metallica concerts. Love them. Um, we've been to three. Mark Knopfler concerts. Mark Knopfler was the uh, lead singer of Dire Straits back oh. back when Dire Straits was. I felt now. lame. I was like, I don't even know who that is, but now I know. Oh okay. yeah, well he. I mean he. More they're you know bigger in England, uh, uh, but um, amazing. Now he just does a lot of solo work. And then we uh, we had a we went to a Goo Goo Dolls concert in Eastern Washington that was just phenomenal that we just loved. So those would be my top three. Love it. Every Metallica concert <laughs> is great too.
0: So is there a person, it can be somebody who's alive or who's passed on, um, that you would love to have lunch with if you could? You don't have to know them. It could be a famous person, someone that you know.
1: I I think I would like to talk with like a a famous scientist. So, you know, candidates there would be like maybe Isaac Newton. Uh, I don't know, you know, just the, the father of modern physics you know, or, or even someone who's alive, like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. And I know he has a podcast. so Maybe he listens and maybe he'll invite me on his show. And then I can, <laughs> we have to wish. make
0: that happen. I know, right? <laughs> okay. So what are three words that you would use um, to describe your leadership style? And then also same question about three words you would describe, um, you would use to describe you kind of as a friend.
1: Yeah, my leadership style is one of positivity, uh, and that's the first word that comes to mind because I like to motivate through, um, through positivity, and you know, not everyone is really a fit for that style, but I really don't like to be a micromanager, so I, I, I shy away from that, and I try to find uh, you know, employees or, or, or people who work well autonomously and people who can create a positive environment. Um, so that's the, really the, the, number one word that comes to mind. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what other words would really describe it. I mean, I, I think attention to detail is really, really important and I have it and I look for people who have it. Um, and so I'm detail oriented and I look for that in other people as well. Those are, those are good. And what about you as a friend? As a friend, um, I try to be authentic and I try to, to be, um, supportive, so I guess authenticity, you know, supportive, um, and then just, just essentially like what it, being a good friend. And I know that that's sort of the meta of this question, like yeah. what does it mean to be a good friend. But sometimes I don't, I don't know if I can really define it too much beyond that. It's kind of like it depends on who you're, who you're friends with. I've found that it's so important in a friendship, especially as we, as we grow older and we have families and now kids and so on, that you have to put in work to maintain your friendship, especially in like an era of COVID, right? Where for the last year and a half plus, we can't really just go see our friends when we want. It's, it's kind of like an ordeal. And so I've got one friend who, who I try to model my friendship after where he just calls me from time to time and just says, Hey man, how you doing? Like, how's life? Let's just chat. I just want to catch up, yeah. you know, or, or just text me like, Hey, just thinking of you hope all's well. And that's, to me, like what it takes to, to keep a friendship and to show that you care. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And I try to do that now because he sort of taught me how much that means I love me.
0: that. I have a friend who does the yep. same thing. And it's amazing how much that is unique. That You're like, oh, wait, it's just like basically it, it like, yeah. pick up the phone, a little old school. Um, okay. Yep. So is there a quote that you love or that you live by or that you think of often?
1: Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of quotes that come to mind. I I feel like one that I and this is maybe a little depressing, but Mm -hmm. one that comes to mind often just is if you're going through hell, keep going. And I think Winston Churchill said it. And uh, it's not to say that I'm always going through hell, but we all go through challenges. And especially with covid, we're all going through hard things right now. um, And we're seeing family members go through things. And uh, and so that's a quote that often comes to mind and it fits with my, one of my um, sort of worldviews, which is that persistence is so important in all aspects of life I've found in business and in personal life. Persistence is so key. Like I've, I've achieved so many things through persistence where if I had given up, I wouldn't have made it, but I kept trying and I made it. And so that kind of is why I like that quote, because, you know, if you're failing or if you're going through something difficult, just keep going, just keep trying. You will make it through. You will get what you're trying to get.
0: Yeah. So I think
1: it. I think that's why I like that quote. Great. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm going to guess on this one. Um, I'm interested to hear what you would guess, actually. Before I,
0: I, I would think that maybe an ambivert. I think that you're maybe an introvert that has um, a personality of an extrovert.
1: I would agree with that. Um, I, I have... I have, uh, you know, a lot of experience, obviously, uh, dealing with people over the years in business as well in friendships. Um, but given, given the choice between having a, a dinner with, you know, 10 people or a dinner with just my wife, I would choose just my wife.
0: Oh, so I'm super curious, um, about your, your world, but let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up
1: and how was it? Yeah. Born and raised in West Seattle. Loved it, uh, went to school there, raised there, um, moved into downtown Seattle. uh, When I was in, I went to University of Washington, which is again, just, just in Seattle, Um, lived in, lived on campus for while I was uh, in school, and then moved into downtown Seattle, met my wife. She moved in with me in downtown and then her and I moved south to Olympia, which is the capital of Washington state. And it's about an hour south of Seattle. Yeah. And that's where we currently
0: live. And what were you into when you were a kid? Were you, you, you said, um, you kind of brought up wanting to meet a scientist. Were you into science or math, yeah, technology? All, what were you kind of, I guess, fueled by when you were little?
1: Yeah. Always been into into science, re, you know, really interested, fascinated in, you know, things like astronomy, physics, theoretical physics, Um, and psychology, all really fascinating things to me. Um, aside from that, grew up uh, being a video gamer, and uh, that's uh, kind of funny because my wife runs a video game podcast, so she mm. is a professional in the media sphere of the video game industry. So the cool thing about that is that she gets me into you know all the all the cool events, um, and she gets lots of swag, and and you know publishers send her. Free games and so on and i get to benefit from all of that too so oh yeah cool.
0: so you were into gaming um, and stuff and how did you choose u was that like kind of like i grew up here that's kind of where you go or um were you looking at other schools and if so would you do it again is that the right choice for you
1: yeah i i did uh i, I kind of always had my eye on u i applied to various schools all of them were here in the state of washington but i ultimately chose u reasons were my mom and dad both went to u so they were alumni that's where they met Um, and my dad had always just kind of grown up, you know, driving me as I was growing up, he would drive me around campus and point out this and that. And I just sort of got the idea that this is where I'm going to be and where I'm going to (laughs) go. Never really second guessed it.
0: Yeah. It's a a great school. And were you working during school or what, how were you spending your time outside of um, being in the classroom? I know you studied marketing. Did you have an, did you have an intuition that you were going to pursue marketing or like most of us
1: just like, Oh, that sounds fun. No, what happened was I was my first year in college. I was living in a fraternity, which, looking back on, is like, how did I do that, and why did I do that? <laughs> um, I don't regret it, uh, but it doesn't see it doesn't really fit with my personality of who I am today or anything like that. Um, but it was a very fascinating, interesting experience. Anyway, so I I started out, you know, taking classes like astronomy and psychology, like I mentioned, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Eventually, I decided the best decision for me was going to be i was going to be going to learn computer code so i took a javascript 101 course and um i got my butt kicked by that course even though i tried so hard and put in so many hours on it and i remember my professor said only 1% of you in this class and there was like 4, four or 500 people in the class only 1% of you are actually going to go on to become hmm. you know developers and the rest of you this is all going to be just a waste of time and I, I was like, wow, I, hope, I guess I hope I'm in that 1%, but probability-wise, I'm not going to be. Well, he, he said the thing is that people – you either have a brain for this or you don't have a brain for mm. this, and, and you're either born with it or you're not. And you will find out whether you are meant for this role in life or whether you're not. And I found out I wasn't, Um, I, you know, I got a respectable GPA in that class. It was like a two, four, um, (laughs) you know, but that wasn't respectable compared to what all my other grades were and the the standards I had for myself. You know, I I was like, I need to be at least like a three, five, (laughs) Um, but two, four. And I put so many hard, hard work and hours into that course. I kind of realized, you know, I kind of came to a turning point or, or, or a fork in the road. Like, what do I do? Do I keep pursuing this or do I take my professor's advice and say, look, you know, this is probably not for you. And I remember being in the frat, one of the, uh, one, of the guy, one of the older guys who had graduated told me he was kind of like a, an advisor to, to, to the guys in the frat. And he said, you know, Jason, the route that I went was business administration. And, you know, all those guys who went the coding route, I'm their boss. I tell them what to do, and I make more money than they do. And that for me was like a light bulb moment. I was like, well, I mean, money is good, <laughs> um, and being a boss would be better than not being a boss, so maybe I'll look into this business thing. And so I started from there. I started taking business courses, and I loved it. I was really good at it. I started taking management you know, courses, marketing, and so on, and, um, and sales courses. I loved them. I performed really well in them, and I sort of just knew that was going to be my my path, um, started taking internships in college that had to do with uh, business consulting. I took a job as the manager of the local campus bike shop, which had never been profitable. And in the first year that I ran it, I, I, uh, I, I made it profitable for the first time in its, you know, 20 year history. And I knew I was like, okay, I'm actually pretty good at this. You know, like I, I had a a feel for the numbers and revenues and expenses, how to, how to get more efficient and how to make customers happier, how to market things. Um, and I just liked it a lot. Yeah. And that led to my first role outside of college into uh, business marketing. And then my career took off from there. Yeah, It's after.
0: been taken out from there. And your first yep. kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, was that your audience bloom when you started that company?
1: Yeah, that's right. That was in 2010.
0: And yep. what, what problem were you solving with that business? And what was the ultimate, um, uh, plan with it? And did you kind of meet where you were trying to go?
1: Yeah. So if you remember back in 2010, that's right around the time where Twitter was starting to become pretty big. Um, it was actually a little earlier than that, but I had become good with you know, using Twitter to connect with people, you know, sort of leverage it for getting visibility from a marketing perspective. And I was doing a lot of testing and, and things like that with Facebook uh, as well at that time. And what I learned was we can use social media like Twitter and Facebook to get eyeballs on brands, products, services, and drive sales. I said, I can help companies do this and because I know how to do it. And I think there's a lot of people who don't know how to do it, but I could show them how and I could charge a, some sort of fee. And so I thought, what would be a good name for a business that would help people get more uh, – like audience you know to their brand or their products. And so I typed in a whole bunch of names and GoDaddy and and what I came up with that was available was audience bloom. And I liked it. So I bought the domain. Um now audience bloom it originally started as a social media agency where I was just handling Twitter and Facebook campaigns for for my clients. But I was also really good at SEO, search engine optimization, because I, I had always had an interest in that. And I had been doing a lot of it for, for years while I was in college and at doing the internships and so on. So I started to talk to my clients about, hey, you know, social media is great, but also have you thought about SEO? And when I told them, like, yeah, I can get your keywords ranked, you know, you know number one or two or three in Google, and you only have to pay me if I can do that for you their eyes lit up and they said, yeah, let's do that. Like, I want it. I definitely want our, our company to be ranked up there in Google. And then I was able to do it. Um, And so that led to word of mouth referrals from what my first company to, to the next, that one to three more, that one to two more, that one to four more. And it just grew from there. And, um, and so really what what I found was, yeah, people are interested in social media, but where the money is and where the real interest is, is in SEO. Mm. And so audience bloom sort of took this natural turn away from social media. And, and we really started to focus on SEO for, Mm -hmm. for our customers. And uh, that was sort of how it grew in that direction.
0: And so if there are people, Jason, that are listening that, um, that are trying to, you know, do what you're saying, like get their companies up there, what are the first kind of three, four things that you make sure that they're doing to begin with?
1: Um, when you say up there like are, are you in talking Google, about like get ranked yeah in get
0: ranked in Google
1: like yeah, isn't, so it in pl- isn't it like
0: really really hard and time consuming
1: yeah i mean it it is depending on what niche your business is in and what keywords you're you're competing for mm-hmm. and there's like literally hundreds of ranking factors but in terms of what's most important um, I mean it's gonna sound generic unless unless people aren't really aren't too familiar with SEO but you have to have a really good quality website. And on that website, you have to have good quality content. What do I mean by that? You have to have either text articles or informational blog posts or, you know, videos or so on that is really useful and valuable and targets once each one, each page should target one specific keyword. And what do I mean by keyword? Well, here's an example. My very first client was a dog food company, and it was actually the same dog food that I fed to my dog at that time. Um, and I the, the, the way they became my client was I was at a street fair, and I saw their tent, and I walked up to the owner of the business who was at the tent, shook his hand, and I told him, I can help you out, and, and you know the rest is history. That's how we, he went on to become a client. Anyway, it was a raw dog food company. And so he really wanted to have his company ranked for the keyword raw dog food. It's a very specific niche of dog food. So – if you want to get ranked for the keyword raw dog food, you have to have a page on your website that is all about raw dog food. And it has to be really good. What are the pros and cons of it? What are the, uh, what are the risks, the benefits, and, and all these other things? Um, then it has to have inbound links to that page. Inbound links are when any other website um, puts a hyperlink that you can click on that links to that page. Those in, inbound links are seen by Google as like votes. They're like votes of authority or trust. The more of those you have, and and from whom they come from, uh, are what de- largely determine your rankings in the algorithm. So, how do you get inbound links from other websites? That's a whole other, that's a whole podcast in itself. Um, and that's actually where we made most of our bread and butter uh, revenue at Audience Bloom was helping our customers get in inbound links because that's mm. the biggest piece of the algorithm.
0: And how do you do so, that if you don't have like partnerships? Because wouldn't that just come from like
1: some sort of partner promoting your raw dog food business? Yeah. I mean, that's one way you can do it. Um, another way you can do it, and this is, Shauna, you probably get a thousand of these. I mean, not a thousand, you probably get like Half a dozen of these a day, but do you get all the people who reach out to you and say, "Hey, Shauna, great website. Um, you know, can I write a guest post for you on your on your website? Do you see those?" Yeah, yeah. What they want to do is they want to they want to give you an article that has a link to either their own website or their client's website in that article. Mm. And it, and you, so what happens is you as a website owner might say, "Cool, it's a free article. I don't have to pay them anything for this, and I get to post something on my blog." And what they get out of it. Is that link? Hmm. Okay, so, if you, see, if you ever see marketing, those emails, is so
0: complicated. I'm realizing, yeah. like, we've never really done, as you know, because we've talked about this, like, we've yep. never really done a ton of marketing and we're suddenly starting to do a little bit. And there's so many different strategies and different, um, yes, just different ways to approach it.
1: Yeah, there, there really are. And, uh, you know, getting inbound links is probably the most difficult. Uh, aspect of ranking your website in Google, mm. but it is also the most valuable. Hmm. And that's why there's a, a lot of money to be made in that niche. If you can help your clients get those links, which is what we did yeah. at audience bloom, we would form partnerships with various you know publications, and then we would facilitate those, those sorts of transactions.
0: Super um, interesting. So how long did you have that company? And then, um, why did you sell it?
1: Had it from, uh, had it until 2019. And I sold it because I was honestly getting, I was getting burned out of being in the industry. The industry changes quickly and it changes um, super fast. And I was just losing my passion for Mm. it. And I I took a self-assessment and I found myself just sort of coasting. Like the money was great, you know, plenty of money was coming in, but I was, I wasn't I wasn't competing anymore mm-hmm. and I felt like I had lost my sort of burning passion. I wasn't working on anything new. I felt like I had beat the game, if that makes sense. Mm. And I knew that if I just sort of, if, if I didn't keep at it and keep working on the business, like I should, then the business was eventually going to get overtaken by competitors. Wow. And I knew I either needed to light a fire under my butt and get working on it so that that wouldn't happen, or I needed to sell it while it had value. Yeah. And so I opted to sell it. And that's the reason is because I love to build things. Like I'm building email analytics and I love it. I I work on it every single day and I'm always having new ideas. And I love the process of building something and seeing my ideas work out and seeing these wins. Um, And so I love that process of building. And I feel like I had I had lost that process of yeah, building with yeah. audience. Building. Tell me about
0: email analytics. What is the business model? I know you founded it in 2018, but what's the exact um, business model and how have you differentiated the business from your competitors?
1: Yeah, it's a software as a service and uh, it is either a monthly or annual subscription uh, model. So there are there are only two competitors that do what we do and one of them is based in the UK and the other is based in Spain Mm -hmm. so we're the only US-based company that's doing what we do so because of that we have a huge advantage um, in the US visibility market in addition we have me which is an SEO expert of 10 years you know coming or 10 15 years actually uh, coming from this agency world so I know how to get traffic to my website and so when you look at the traffic graphs of emailanalytics.com compared to these competitors, it's like not even, it's not even close. I mean, it's completely different leagues. So we're getting all this visibility um, and we're turning that visibility, you know, obviously into, into free trials and then sales.
0: Yeah. And so how did you go about funding it? Did you fund it out of the profits from selling audience bloom or have you gone out and raised capital?
1: Um, so far, it's been 100% funded out of the profits of audience Bloom. So' I'm, I've, I've entirely bootstrapped it using the, the profits from that sale. Um, we are uh, we are currently uh, working on raising. So it's uh, it's the first raise and so it's uh, it's my first time going through that sort of process because I've been through a sale process, but that's not a raise. Mm, you know? And so I'm learning the the raise process now for the first time so, um, it's all quite interesting, uh, quite interesting to me, but yeah, that's, that's the, the status we're in right now.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Um, yeah. So I, I read that it's kind of like Google analytics for email. Um, is that, is that an accurate way of
1: Yeah, kind of absolutely. So, it? So here's the thing. When I was running the agency, we had about 20 or so employees and contractors and they were all remote, 100%. Everybody was fully remote, spread around the world. Um, And what I found while running the agency was that uh, email activity was highly correlated with productivity. What I mean by that is that if my employees weren't emailing, they weren't working. Why is that? It's because with the agency, so much of the work came down to communication and coordination. Whether, we, whether me and my employees were dealing with vendors, partners, um, leads, customers, prospects, any of the, or any other stake, type of stakeholder, there was constant communication going on throughout the day. And so if, if somebody didn't have enough to do, that would be reflected in their email workload volume. Well, at that time, the only way to see how much email was going in and out of, of somebody's account was to literally go log into their email account. And then start looking through it just like thumbing through it and seeing okay who are are they emailing when when are they working what time during the day what how fast are they responding but that was a really i mean that was just a bad process because you had to wait until that person was was uh offline and then you had to just sort of manually get an idea of it. Well, it's also what just I, like
0: the privacy issue and trust issues. Exactly. Because when you're, you're just looking at the activity, you're not looking specifically at the activity, right?
1: That's right. All I wanted to know was, do are my team members busy enough? Do they need more work? Do I need to rebalance workloads? Who's busy? Who's not? And... So what happened is I would have a weekly meeting with my, with each of my team members. And I would say, you know, I would ask those questions. And the answer was almost always, um, yeah, I'm I'm plenty busy. You know, I got, I got plenty to do. Um, but you know, I, I, did have some suspicions about, about certain people from time to time where I would be like, you know, for instance, there was once an instance where we had, um, sales for one of my reps had really, really dropped off. Um, but that person was telling me that they were still super busy and couldn't take on any more work. So I needed to reconcile as a manager. Okay, well, what happened? Why aren't these leads closing anymore? Or have the leads dried up? The only way, you know, either either the leads have dried up or the leads aren't closing. And I need to know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I logged into that person's email account. And what I found was that the leads were still coming in, but that that person was not responding to them. Mm. Um, as a matter of fact, there was a $10,000 sale. Uh, an order from a customer in one of those emails and it hadn't been responded to in over a week. Oh, jeez! And so I, I knew in that moment that I had a problem that I had to solve. I was not getting full truthfulness from some people on my team about whether they were busy or not. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously I had to make some tough decisions after that. And what I found was that I cannot trust, uh, I I cannot rely on self-reporting. Yeah. Self-reporting. I have, as a manager, I have to see and visualize for myself what's going on and make these decisions. Jason, can I ask you Um, a question about the email
0: part? So it's email analytics, but like, there's a lot of talk around like email being kind of antiquated now. Like it's more like Slack and just different ways that people are communicating. Um, Can you analyze like all communication or is just email? And how are you addressing that question? I'm sure it comes up.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, I, so I, I definitely think that Slack is, uh, is it, it's a growing role. I, I myself use Slack for a lot of internal communications, but I also use email. And what I'm seeing is that there's a division, uh, where a lot of internal teams are starting to use Slack among themselves in companies. But what we're seeing is that when you communicate externally with, with other people, that that's where email really shines. And so, I think that email isn't going away. I think it's changing. And I think that Slack may be eating into email's market share in the sense of internal comms can be better through Slack. Um, But email does have a lot of advantages. Slack doesn't. I still send my internal team members emails. For instance, I, I get an email from a customer what, what do I do? Do I type this? Do I type something out in Slack or do I just forward that email to my, to the, to my appropriate rep? Mm-hmm. I forward it. That's the easier thing for me. And it, and it creates a chain that includes everything documented for my rep to yeah. handle. So yeah. And can you, I don't see email you, going you, away.
0: Can you, um, does it integrate with all forms of email from Gmail to, you know, obviously Google and Outlook and everything?
1: Um, right now it's Google and Google workspace, which is, you know, formerly G suite. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're working on our outlook and Microsoft 365 integration currently. So that's not ready yet, but that is coming soon.
0: And is that been a, um, a hindrance to growth at all? Are people pushing back and saying, we'd love to use you, but we were on outlook. So let us know kind of when you're on Outlook. Yes. That is our
1: number one hindrance to growth. We're, we're bouncing probably 50% of our prospects because we just can't serve them yet.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: what we're How are you able
0: to to say this 42 and and the 16%, like how do you measure these results?
1: Yeah, we have the data that shows from all of our customers how fast they respond to emails. And we can also see how fast it takes other people to respond to our customers Mm -hmm. who are not email analytics customers. Mm -hmm. We compare those two numbers and we can see that our customers are 42.5% faster on average. And that comes out to about three hours faster per email that, that our customers respond compared to people who do not use email analytics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why is that? Well, what I think it is, is, is psychology. Um, do you know what the Hawthorne effect is? Okay. So yeah, for people who don't know, it's it's um, it's a psychology effect uh, or principle that says that when somebody knows that they're being observed, measured, or monitored, that they will change their behavior, whether subconsciously or consciously. And this, this effect happens across so many different ways the way i learned about this was that they were they were looking at how people walk on a treadmill when they're being observed versus when they're not being observed and when people are 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 being observed and they know it and they're walking on a treadmill they'll actually change the way they walk and they don't even know it and so this effect happens also when people know that their email activity is being monitored and what happens is when they know that they change their behavior. And Mm -hmm. what we see is that the behavior change is that they respond to emails faster because they know that they're being measured against that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, why is email response time a big deal? A lot of reasons, but a couple of stats. 35 to 50% of all sales go to the vendor that responds first. That's a huge advantage if you can be faster than your competitors on Mm -hmm. those responses. And uh, if you respond to sales leads in under 60 minutes, your sales close rate goes up by 700%. So it really does matter to have a faster response time. Yeah. Now, how do we get this 16% figure? Um, we've, we, there, there is a study that, that, that was done that found um, that certain uh, improvements in response time lead to um, certain increases in sales. And it kind of goes along the lines of the first vendor uh, to respond uh, gets 30 to 50% of all sales. So we calculated, okay, well, what happens if the improved response time is 42% and that on the scale came out to 16% on the increase in sales. And
0: what about the counter argument of, you know, nowadays talking about burnout and talking about people saying that with remote work, every, you know, Saturday is blending into Sunday into Monday. Um, And even marketing campaigns are saying like, hold off on sending stuff over the weekends because people are getting turned off by... Um, just that twenty four seven mentality.
1: Yeah. Well. Well. What I I've, I mean, what I've found from talking with my own employees as well as studies is that people love working from home much more than they want than they than they like working in the office. In fact, people are willing to take a five to ten percent pay cut to continue working from home rather than go into the office. So people will pay money in a sense to work from home. They see it as a huge advantage and a huge perk. Mm-hmm. Um, but with working from home comes the the need for managers and for businesses to have a, to have accountability and visibility into the activity of their teams. And I think that people understand that. They they understand that there are trade-offs. If I'm going to work from home, you know, and I'm going to use a company email account, I think it 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 makes sense that my manager understands what's going on in that email account. And by the way, at email analytics we're not looking at the content of your emails. We're only looking at the, the meta statistics, Mm -hmm. email sent, emails received time of day, email response time.
0: Yeah. We look at it a little bit with recruiting, you know, we're looking at measurements of like. The amount of outreach on LinkedIn, the amount of interviews, the amount of of candidates that you're sending out, the amount of offers those candidates are getting. I mean, of course, you're going to be looking at that, but we're not looking at like, what did you, I mean, unless we have to diagnose a a situation like, hey, most people are getting 26% response rate, you're getting three, you know, what are you writing? And where, exactly. where are people are responding to you. So, but it does um, help a ton as a leader to use data to tell a story of where there, yeah. where are there, where there are gaps. So
1: yeah, you want to make data-driven decisions from, from data-driven insights, you know, yeah. and, and that's that's how you get ahead in today's business world.
0: Yeah, I um, totally agree.
1: And a lot of our customers use the tool that way. They'll say, Why are our top performing salespeople? the top performing salespeople, what are they doing differently? Mm-hmm. And how can we apply best practices that they have to our lower performing reps? Mm-hmm. And so it's really good for everyone involved. Everybody, Everybody's performance goes up. You know, Sales teams, which is our, our primary type of customer, perform better, which means more commissions for them. Right, right, <laughs> so, exactly.
0: Yeah. And so you're charged, um, Percy, um, like how do people get charged? How do companies get
1: yeah. So it's per seat. We have bulk discounts, uh, starting with, uh, uh a six starting with your sixth team member. And then mm-hmm. we've got, uh, seven tiers of bulk discounts, on. Um- so depending on how big your team is, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to get that. Um, and then that also stacks with annual discounts. So you can you can take an annual discount and you can have a bulk discount at, at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the yeah. right amount of time before customers usually want to kind of really look to see is this working? And are they kind of re-upping? Or it's, I guess, a little soon in the business to tell. I guess a few years in you can. Um, but that would probably be, I'm sure, the measurement even when you go to raise, what they're going to be looking for. Like,
1: are yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at definitely they're looking at churn and they're looking at loyalty statistics. And what we're seeing is, I mean, we're really in like still a learning phase right now. We are learning about who our target audience is um, and how to make them happy. And so we're churn is going down, 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 because we're learning how to stop that churn. When somebody does churn, we have intelligence. I know, I reach out to people. I say, can you give me some Intel? I can learn from it and we can improve as a result. And so, Yeah, those metrics are something I'm always looking at and looking to improve. Um, And being in learning mode, what I love about it is that we are so visible that we get all of these customers coming in. We're not paying a dime in paid ads, like not a dime. It's all free Google organic right now. Uh, And so all these customers are coming in, finding us, they're signing their teams up, they're paying, and then I'm learning from them as they're using the tool. So MRR goes up, churn goes down, and we're still not paying anything in ads. It's pretty great.
0: Wow. That's awesome. And you've gotten some incredible customers. I mean, and you're growing so quickly. I love it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it helps to have that visibility. Anybody from any company can go type in email analytics, email tracking, uh, team email monitoring, employee email monitoring, remote employee email tool, anything like you, you think of it. And I guarantee you, we're ranking on the first page in Google for that keyword. If not in the top three, we're on the first page. Like I have all the keywords. I mean, I track 500 keywords every day in, wow. in what we rank. I mean, this is what I did for 15 years before I started this company. I, I helped clients with, yeah. with this and now I'm doing it for myself and it feels great. Oh, you know? I'm sure you're so energized and you're doing that and balancing little
0: baby Jace and your yes. dog rev. What do you do? Like I'm um, you know, when you're not with the baby and you're not working, what are you doing to kind of take care of yourself and set yourself up for a good week so that you don't get burnt out?
1: Um, I game a lot with my wife because we're both big gamers. So we have a podcast called The Co-op Show. And so we just talk about co-op games that we're playing. And so that makes that keeps us on um, sort of on task for playing new co-op games and then talking about it together. It's become a lot more difficult, like if someone were to go look at that, they'd say we haven't posted a show in like two months right now because we're so behind. But that's because Jace takes all of our time. You know, he's yeah. only four months old and, and he's always he, he always needs one of us at all, at pretty much all times, yeah, you know, and totally. so um, it's gotten harder. But when we can game, you know, when we put him to bed at night, his bedtime is like 730 or 8. We put him to bed and then we just hang out together and we love to game. Um, you know what? we uh, I'm 35. And so when Pokemon came out 25 years ago, I was 10. And so I am a first generation Pokemon kid. And so I still love uh, Pokemon and, and my wife is 33. And so she was in that generation too. And so we love to just, you know, open packs of Pokemon cards and, and, uh, and have fun with that, um, you know, on a Friday night or something. Um, we, you know, I'll take my dog out and have walks around the neighborhood with him, Reb. He loves walking. I take him out every day and throw the ball. We love going, getting outside. Yeah, those—that's kind of the things we're limited to these yeah. days. Well, you
0: know, I like, get it. You got you got COVID, but you're you're doing it. That sounds like a really good, nice, balanced, mellow, yeah. but also super engaged world that you're living. So, my ultimate question for you is—and I ask everyone this at the end—is what fuels you?
1: Um, what fuels me is. It's the saying that an entrepreneur lives the way that nobody else does so that they can live the rest of their life like nobody else can. Um, so I'm trying to work really, really hard to negate all sort of potential financial issues because I want to live my life traveling, doing, and seeing. So one of the things that really kills me is that for the last couple of years, my wife and I have not been able to do our annual Disney World trip that we love to do, um, uh And we, you know, we, we love to travel. We love to go on cruises. We love to uh, go see and do, and we just haven't been able to do any of that um, because of COVID. But once, once that's all over with, we're going to get back into doing that. And that is what fuels me. I want to be doing as much of that during my life as I can. And so does she. And so in order to do that, you got to make money. That's a lot of expensive trips. And so we got to have a way to pay for it. So that's what, what fuels me is, the means to living my life the way I want to live it.
0: Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.